people they murdered. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Coming to get you, Barbara. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Bloody Pit. Today, I have returning guest... Mark Clark, author and bon vivant, and uh, we're both in lockdown in uh, separate separate states, uh, which is probably the safest way for both of us to be. We're uh, we're carriers of all kinds of strange diseases, and tonight we're going to discuss one of those stranger diseases, which is an idea that Mark has had for some time. But before we get to that subject, Mark, how are you doing up there in uh, Sequester Land? I am doing. I'm doing fine. I, I, I was going to request, however, that in in lieu of my regular cash honorarium, that uh, you pay me in hand sanitizer. Um, I just as long as you don't ask for toilet paper, I think we're good. <laughs> I'm down to sacrificing comic books I don't like. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> no, that will be the last thing I use. Uh, no, um, I did want to say that. Uh, uh, well, before we get started, actually, uh, have you seen anything uh, of of recent vintage that uh, you you feel is uh, worth pointing out to people who might be uh, looking for something they might not think of otherwise to distract them from the hellish landscape of COVID-19 2020? Well, define what you mean by recent vintage. <laughs> um, anything in the past couple of months? <laughs> uh, you mean that's come out in the last couple of months or anything that I just happened to see? No, just something you've seen. Uh, well, unfortunately, I'm not going to be of much help there because I've been I've mostly been uh, plowing through, uh, continuing to power through the last few titles remaining for the for the book I'm writing on movies, uh, horror films from the 1940s. And other than huh. that, I've mostly watched um, stuff with the kids, you know, like Frozen 2 and uh, Scooby-Doo and the Fant- Scooby-Doo and the Phantasaur. I can recommend that one. That was that was pretty excellent. So. The Phantasaur? The Phantasaur. The Ghost Dinosaur. Hey, uh, with lots of really funny business involving Shaggy, so there you go. Well, I mean that would be the norm, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny because I actually uh, I'm I'm planning to take a run back through uh, some of the uh, the the very first Scooby Doo episodes. the The problem I run into is even though I have them on uh, DVD, mm-hmm. and I, I have this overwhelming urge to just like sit down and watch two or three of them in a row, I find that after one, I need to set it aside. Because trying to watch more than one of them at a time, they weren't built that way. Right. Yeah, yeah. The, the newer movies and things of that nature. As a matter of fact, I think some of the more recent TV series have actually been kind of a have been kind of cool because they have been serialized. There's like an overarching story, and uh, you know, w- along with individual tales, and so it, it doesn't fall into that uh, episodic trap that uh, uh, most 
television before, say, the year 2000 fell into, which is, you know, every episode has to end in a way that it can be seen in any order with any other episode. Right. But, uh, oh, so you've, you've been, you're, you're still, you're still, oh man, I, I don't, what's the deadline on the 1940s book? Oh, uh, I, I'm past the deadline <laughs> on it already. <laughs> Oh my goodness! But, uh, okay. but I, I think it'll be done. Uh, I think it'll be done. Yeah, you know, I was hoping to have it done in time for the, the a convention I do every year in May, which has since been canceled. So, uh, but I think yeah. it'll be done here in the next in the next two or three months. Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little concerned because uh, and of course there's a couple of conventions I go to every year in June, and I think we can probably pretty much write both of them off, and that that's that's a sadness. Yep. Yeah, I get to see a lot of people at those shows that I only get to see then, which really kind of stinks. Yep. Ah, well. Well, Mark, you have uh, proposed a very interesting subject tonight. Your thesis, which is one that I I have to admit, I have a pull in the yes, you are correct direction. That's almost automatic. And I have pulls in the almost completely opposite direction automatically as well because, well, one, I'm just a contrary I'm a, I'm, I'm a jerk. And, you know, if you say something absolutist, then I have a tendency to just want to go, no, no. But I have to say, I'll let you state it, and then I'll explain to you why I think automatically you may be right. Well, my my thesis, and uh, this this was actually the idea for for a book I've decided I'm not going to write, which would have been a follow-up to uh, the, the book that Brian and I wrote uh, about horror films from the 1960s was that uh, 1968 was the greatest year in history for horror, science fiction, fantasy-type films. Now, the reason that I almost automatically want to agree with you is that 1968 was the year of my birth. (laughs) And so, as far as I'm concerned... Of course, it's one of the greatest years of all time. Look what happened on May the 1st of that very year. Me! So, you know, you got that going for you right off the bat. Okay. But then my contrary nature kicks into gear, and I want to find something to argue with you about. Sure. And uh, then I made the mistake of, you know, printing out a long list of uh, various titles that came out in the year 1968. And, man, you got a good argument here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, off the top, I mean, and we're well, going to do more than just list titles, but but I think that you have to start by doing that, you know, and and any yeah. year that's got, you know, I just just for the headliners of 2001: A Space Odyssey, Night of the Living Dead, Planet of the Apes, Rosemary's Baby, and Witchfinder General is going to be in the conversation. About no, no kidding, best exactly. And then there are, you know, there are a few dozen more. Uh, movies, including a lot of other films that I happen to like a lot or think that are interesting for one reason or another, some of which, when we did the 60s book, weren't even included because the there were so many horror films produced in the 1960s that we decided to just limit ourselves to the ones that were released in the United States either during mm-hmm. that time or subsequently, but there are other films that had that have not been released here officially or didn't weren't released here officially until after the book came out. So just hitting on some other possible titles to to just get into this a little bit deeper, I mean and again I've just got these kind of alphabetically and I'm just kinda of gonna hit some more of the highlights here. But I'm gonna list sev- I'll mention several movies here if you don't mind. Go ahead, go ahead. But uh, Barbarella 
which is a movie I personally enjoy on different levels. Uh, okay, okay. Blackbeard's Ghost, which is a kind of delightful Disney uh, ghost movie. Charlie. That's, that, that's one that I've actually been thinking about revisiting because I haven't seen it since I was probably eight. Yeah, yeah. I rewatched it for the 60s book, and I thought it held up pretty well. But okay. Charlie, which is the adaptation of Flowers for Algernon starring Cliff Robertson. Yeah, he got an Oscar. He got an Oscar for that, didn't he? Yep. Yes, he yeah. did. Countdown, which is a Robert Altman sort of space program drama thing. James Caan, right? Yep. Um, yeah. And it's not it's not great, but it's notable. Um, again, not great, but notable. Curse of the Crimson Altar, just just because of the cast, if you know nothing else. I get a lot of joy out of Curse of the Crimson Altar. I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I would have figured you liked it more than I do, but. It's certainly notable. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How are, how are we deciding that I would like it more than you? <laughs> because I know you, Rod. <laughs> it's a Rod Barnett kind of movie. Oh, good Lord. You, you, we must talk off mic. I'm, 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 I'm not sure what kind of bizarre ideas about you, about, that you've gotten in your head about me. This is very strange. Um, uh, there's, there's Diabolic. Oh, yes, indeed. Destroy All Monsters. Yep. The Devil Rides Out. Which, to my mind, is one of the best of that year. Yeah, I would I would put it on the top tier myself, but it's just not as well known. It doesn't have quite the the stature. Uh, I mean, because those other films, so I mentioned off the top, you know, 2001, A Planet of the Apes, and Rosemary's Baby. And that, I mean, those are all things that, even if you're not a fan of horror science fiction movies, you know those movies. You know, I'm not sure that's necessarily the case about The Devil Rides Out, but it's really just as good as, you know, any of those or almost any of those. I agree. Yeah. And then uh, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, which I think is underrated. I think that's a really, I mean, I think that's, it's actually one of my favorite of Hammer's Dracula films. I think it's very solid, yeah. Yeah, it's actually, after Horror of Dracula and Brides of Dracula, it's actually my favorite of the, of the rest of them. Huh, that's interesting. I, I I find so much within it to be it's uh it's it's really fascinating. I like the visual choices, I like the set pieces, I like uh the stabs at including an atheist character uh to kind of get across the idea of the the religious belief, you know, playing into Dracula's effectiveness. I think it's great. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all that and it's a beautiful looking film too. There's some uh some of the I know you watched a few of these, but there's some delightful little Japanese oddities like uh, genocide, goat. which is a great film. Genocide really surprised me. I mean, I did. Let's just say I did not expect that ending. Yeah, uh, Gok, Body Snatcher from Hell, another one of my favorites. Great film, great film. The Green Slime, the one and only The Green Slime. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, Hour of the Wolf, which is another one that it would, for me would be a candidate for the top tier, also, which is uh, Ingmar Bergman, the closest thing Bergman made to a full-on horror movie. It's one of my. Uh, it's it's one. It's in my top five Bergman films. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, uh, Je Tem, Je Tem, which is a Alan Rene um, science fiction uh, art film kind of thing. That's I I really like a lot. Uh, Kuriniko, which is another excellent Japanese uh, horror film. Uh, the Lost Continent, another Hammer movie, which I personally like. Uh, it's I have a lot of affection for it. I think it's great. Yeah, the Living Skeleton, another one of the odd Japanese things. Big surprise on that one. That was uh, that was a movie that had a couple of twists and turns in the final act that I was just not I was not expecting. <laughs> the thing about that movie is, 
about every 10 minutes, something completely insane happens. <laughs> yes, yes. So indeed. it's like anytime you think you're settling in to, to, to know what's going on, it just throws you another curveball. Mad Doctor of Blood Island, of course, Philip, the, from the Philippines. Yep. Malanga. Yeah, Romero. Uh, you, you probably are aware of, right? The Oh, Mal- Malenka or uh, Fangs of the Living Dead, the, yep. uh, the uh, Amado D'Asorio horror yep. film, yes. Exactly. It's your grandmother, Malenka, and you're the image of her, Celia. There's something going on here. Something evil. An insatiable blood sucker. Santo movies with a, my favorite Santo movie, Santo and Dracula's Treasure, and also Santo and the Blue Demon in Atlantis, which I actually have not seen, but just based on the title alone, is on my list of things I got to track down. Satanic, which is another Italian Spanish type deal. Yeah, yeah. Spider Baby. Which, I mean, I don't, I have trouble calling that a 1968 film because we both know that that was filmed about five years previous. Right, but it, it, you know, which is why it's you know it is where it is, but it's you know in terms of it's not at the, on the top line or anything, but but it did come out that year. True, um, very true. Uh, Spirits of the Dead, which is a very interesting movie that I had much more appreciation for after reading Tim Lucas's monograph on that film. Well, I've always been impressed. Uh, Spirits of the Dead, by the way, people is a it's a uh, it's an anthology film, uh, three different stories based on Edgar Allan Poe stories. One done by uh, Fellini, one by uh, Louis Malle, one done by Roger Vadim. And it's always been the Fellini segment uh, at the end, the, the last segment that has been the standout, I think, for most people, and it right. is phenomenal. Yes, yeah, and and the Mal segment is good too. I'm, I'm not as crazy about the Vadim segment, but you know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Targets, another candidate for the top tier. Great movie. Should have been Boris Karloff's Swan Song. Agreed. Great uh, film. Unfortunately, still relevant today. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. Uh, Thunderbird 6. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Uh, Wizard of Gore. I don't know. I think that might blow somebody's skirt up. <laughs> uh, Yellow Submarine. Let's not forget. True, Lubinis true. And all that fun stuff. And the uh, have you seen the Yokai Monsters movies? The, another more Japanese oddball stuff? No, I have to admit that that remains a blind spot in yeah. my uh, my viewing history. Yeah, those are uh, really kooky, fun things. And then and then there are things that are like don't really fit in quite to what we're talking about here. But just it's worth noting that there were a lot of other things that, like, if you're a fan of this kind of stuff, you probably may also like, like the Boston Strangler or Truffaut's The Bride Wore Black. Or you know a lot of other kind of just thriller kind of things. It was it was a really solid year for that kind of stuff too. In addition to being a kind of a spectacular year for horror and science fiction uh, stuff. So, 
Well, you've already mentioned Witchfinder General, which I think is, of course, a phenomenal movie. Uh, I would add to that that list Twisted Nerve, which is a, a, a pretty amazing little thriller. Yep, I've got that on my... I've, I didn't read everything I've got on the list. And now, not everything on this... I mean, not everything that came out the year is great. I mean, you get, like, Astro Zombies and Berserk. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, Astro Zombies and... Uh, believe me, there are more than a few films we could name off that are not... Uh, the the the, the Illustrated Man, which uh, I hate the movie version of that book. It's not particularly good. There's some there's some things in that in the film that I like, but it's not particularly great. No. I mean, it was a big budget studio attempt and all that stuff. It's got that going for it, but it's not. I, I've never. I've, I've always kind of hated that movie. You know, and there's things like Wild in the Streets, which are kind of kind of interesting. There yeah. are like I think uh, at least two or three of the. Uh, Fu Manchu movies, the Harry Allen Towers things. Uh, there's, I mean, there's some more stuff on here. I didn't read everything, but yeah. But uh, but yeah, Twisted Nerve definitely another another candidate. You know, a film of interest from that year. Well, you've left off a very important one in my book. Yes. The Mark of the Werewolf. Oh. <laughs> yes. Paul Nashie's very first Valdemar Donetsky film. There you go. Jeez, it's like you were baiting me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I that was just an oversight on my part. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't, uh, I, I haven't, did, I haven't done exhaustive research, you know. It was, uh, but uh, uh, I knew that, that makes sense. I think that what well, you're right, it was '68. Yeah, just uh, blank on that one. Sorry. Well, now, at what point did you realize? Because I want to, I want to dig into the importance of some of these, some particularly. A few of these films because I don't think they get uh, I don't think they get discussed a lot. Uh, for me, of course, Mark of the Werewolf has been talked about quite a bit, so we can right. we can just make note of the fact that that's part of the list and move on. But um, when did you realize you know kind of looking at the various years was it while doing the the sixty shockers book that you kind of took note of nineteen sixty eight being rather stacked? No, actually, it was it was before that. We um, um, I'm trying to remember now. I mean, this is one of these you know. Uh, conversation points from probably this probably goes back to like oh uh, I don't know a bar somewhere at Fanex or something <laughs> and um, somehow it just came up and and uh, some you know people were arguing for this year or that year for you know nineteen in terms of horror movies typically and right. so that was like you know nineteen fifty seven or thirty whatever it was you know one of the years in the thirties. And it just it just j- jumped out at me that well if you're thinking if you expand it beyond just horror movies and look at horror science fiction fantasy and kind of that whole spectrum to me it's got to be '68. And but what did happen is when we were doing the '60s book, I had more time to think about this and think about uh, especially because one of the things we, I tried to do in the the first part of the '60s book, which is kind of the, the overview, you know, before we get into the individual entries right. and talk about things that were going on, you know, in the world and in, uh, you know, politics and everything else in addition to movies and how that, as well as the trends of the movie industry and things of that nature. Uh, it kind of, I kind of came to the, to the belief that the more difficult and kind of screwed up the real world is, the better horror movies get and science fiction movies. And, yeah. and so to me, it was not coincidental that 1968, because I also have a list here of different things that happened in 1968, and a lot oh, of okay, yeah. good. You know, 68 one of the, was one of the most fraught and tumultuous years in in recent history, 
uh, certainly the 20th century, and also gave us all these great uh, movies, you know. So now some of these things were not, I mean, produced during, I mean, some of them were made in 68, some of them were made the year before we came out in 68, or like, well, yeah, but, you know, but it's it's easy to it's easy to argue, though, that, you know, a year like 68 doesn't happen without the previous two to three years kind of, you know, kind of plow, plowing the ground for those seeds to take shape, you know, to, to, yeah. to take root. I mean, that's just the way those things happen. So, yeah, correct. And it's not like, you know, I mean, we did get and not, not everything and it's not on the nose type stuff. Like, I mean, we did get wild in the streets, you know, in 68. But I mean, it wasn't a lot of stuff that like directly commented on the situation. I mean, you could argue that Night of the Living Dead kind of does in certain respects, but, but it's, an allegory, it's in an allegory form, so it yeah. could easily be just seen as a horror film, you know, it's, yeah. and still is for for most people. Yeah, but, you know, but, um, but I think there are these anxieties and stresses, uh, you know, and that are just floating around, you know, in, in the culture and in, in people's minds and they bubble up in horror and science fiction films. Uh, I mean, they bubble up other places too, but I've always thought in part, and a lot of my writing has been about the ways in which, you know, these movies reflect the anxieties and aspirations and dreams of the P of the eras in which they're made. I mean, they're very, they're very much time capsules and they capture things uh, in terms of what people were thinking about, what they were worried about, in ways that other things don't do quite as in, uh, quite as obviously, in my mind. I, I think that's okay. one of the reasons I think there's there's a value in in looking at these movies and 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 thinking about them a little bit more deeply than just oh that was fun you know it's what's on next you know kind of thing, or which is why I've been writing the books I've been writing for the last <laughs> several years or however long. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's a. I grew up in a time, you know, when I when I really became a movie fanatic is the it's the it's the late seventies, early eighties, which is uh, kind of the tail end of what, when you look back, was really a period where films became not all films, but in general, there was a nihilistic tone that had crept into a lot of, even very popular films. Uh, yes, there were uh, some. There, there were standout movies that bucked that trend. That were not, you know, movies that ended in a way that, you know, had you leaving the theater going, "Wow, that was harsh," or "That was terrible." Everybody died. You know, the things that bucked that trend were huge hits. Things like, you know, Star Wars or Jaws, where people survive and and, and overcome obstacles and and win through, and the good guys win. However you want to phrase it, but the hangover from that. You can you can kind of start seeing that that trend begin in '68, and by the time I'm becoming conscious in my you know early teens of really enjoying movies, the the movies are still kind of uh, being affected by that nihilistic tone, the, the the nihilism that that came in and became part of the thinking of just a lot of filmmakers and the way things go. I mean, they, you look at uh, some of the biggest hits of the '70s because you know if you see 1968 as kind of a, a a set a set point where you know you're you're playing volleyball you're you're knocking the ball up into the air and waiting for somebody to come along and spike it the the 70s are when those late 60s films are kind of the late 60s films are setting it the 70s films are really spiking it and so you're seeing movies like uh well the godfather and things of that nature where they're really dark subjects and they're being set up in the the public consciousness by these movies in uh starting in the late 60s and i think 
One of the great examples of that is, of course, one of my favorite films of all time from 1968, which is Planet of the Apes. You can't help thinking that somewhere in the universe there has to be something better than man. Has to be. The words are Charlton Heston's. Get out a last signal to Earth that we've landed! The world he finds out in the galaxy will challenge every idea you've ever had of civilization. A planet where man is the lowest order of living things, and the superior beings are apes. They build the cities, make the laws, the gods, and control the guns that hunt a race of lowly, terrified humans who run wild in the jungles, are caged in the prisons, and stuffed in the museums. 20th Century Fox transforms the motion picture screen into Planet of the Apes. Pierre Boulle's finest novel since Bridge on the River Kwai. The world gone insane. An upside-down civilization that could not be real. Yes, a world of madness and terror. Man has no understanding. He can be taught a few simple tricks, nothing more. You did it. You cut up his brain, you bloody baffles. in an episode so unpredictable, so shocking, it made the horror which preceded it seem calm and gentle as a summer's night. Uh, there, you know, that's, I mean, granted, the sequel was even more nihilistic, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't uh, push a button, you, you, you don't let Charlton Heston push a button and destroy the planet itself without having thought, th- thought, thought your way through topping the nihilism of your first story. But uh, the darker elements of these movies uh, Rosemary's Baby's ending is a good example of yep. that's not the kind of ending a movie telling that tale would have had ten years before maybe even five years before yeah probably not the other thing that happens about that time is and, I'm, and maybe it starts a, a, a year before is you start to get the, the whole new Hollywood uh, takeover going on yeah. where younger filmmakers start having more of a voice, start getting more of their work out, uh, and and you had more uh, uh, ind- independent movies, independently produced movies started having, uh, you know, finding getting more traction. Uh, I mean, that had been going on for a while, but again, it's like a lot of things just started to really kind of reach critical mass there in the late '60s, and that continued into that continued into the '70s. Where you're right, I mean, a lot of the movies became very dark, very downbeat. Uh, cynical um, kind of things, all, you know, like, not just the horror science fiction movies, but you get like you know Network and and uh, you know One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Taxi Driver and just all kinds of things. And it, things don't really brighten up until maybe you know maybe a little bit with Rocky and then and then you know Star Wars uh, and that yeah. stuff that followed that. Then you started to really get you know, but the whole period really from the from the you know. Re- looking at it timeline wise, it's really from about 
yeah, 68, you know, or long about the Tet Offensive <laughs> through, <laughs> yeah. uh, through uh, Star Wars coming out. You know, because you get through, you get through the end of the, of the Vietnam War, you Watergate, uh, all kinds of bad stuff going on there in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. And um, it, it takes a while to, to pull out of it. And the movies that were being made, especially the ones that were being made by in, either independently or by, uh, you know, young uh, filmmakers in Hollywood that were that were doing things that had a little bit more artistic value than, and and not really worried so much about box office. Uh, you know, they were able to just do things Hollywood wouldn't do prior to that, and really has not done very much of since then. Very true. It's the, uh, yeah. th- there, there are flashes of that kind of thing every now and then, and, and it becomes a bit of a shock to me when I realize that something like that has actually reached a wider audience than I would expect it to. And you know, in the past, you know, the past twenty years or so, it's just like uh, it's a bit of a shock. Yeah, it's like who? I mean, do you think anyone would greenlight Dog Day Afternoon today? No. It, it, I'll, I'll tell you what would happen nowadays. It would be made as a four or five part uh, miniseries for uh, a streaming service or HBO or Showtime or something like that, but it would not be a feature film. No. Right. Yeah. So it, I, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was, I, the when you look at it, it, might be a good idea to kind of broaden our view, kind of back up a little bit, and and make make a make another point that will back up your thesis to a degree, and looking at the films, other films, not genre films necessarily, that came out in 1968. And see if they, see if we could spot that same trend of kind of a starting of a, of a level of cynicism or nihilism, however you want to phrase it. Uh, because, I mean, one of the biggest films of that year was Bullet, by, you know, with Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always been struck by uh, the, the, the violence in Bullet. Everybody remembers the car chase because that's the, the thing that just kind of shook everybody to the core because it was such a, such a visceral thing and such an exciting, amazing car chase. But Bullet, a, a lot of the time, it, it, it plays as if Steve McQueen's cop character is almost, uh, he's almost a criminal. Um, even the poster art for the film, he's, he's standing in black wearing a gun and a shoulder holster, and even the poster art has his, has his eyes shaded very dark, as if, I mean, if you didn't know, if you'd never seen the film, you might just assume that this is a story about a criminal. Yep. And so, and, and, and then you, you look at some of the other films that uh, kind of come along at that time, the same thing. The same year, McQueen was in The Thomas Crown Affair, which is about a criminal. He plays a, an art thief. A very, a very dark and possibly Sergio Leone's greatest film, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, which is a truly dark film. Uh, and I mean, you, wonderful, don't get me wrong, but but dark. Yep. Well, and 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 you get things like the producers. Which yes, is exactly. Pretty, you know, <laughs> it's funny, but uh, you know, definitely has a has an edge to it. And let's not let's not forget the the Clint Eastwood movie that came out in '68 called Hang 'Em High. Yep, right. Well, it's sort of like a you know American spaghetti western, but uh, yeah. The, the you know the thing about it is though, this is another area where one of the other you know theses <laughs> theses <laughs> that I that I that were it was kind of baked into the '60s book was that a lot of things happen in that 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 horror films specifically because and, and exploitation films more generally tend to be kind of laboratories for things that catch on with mainstream uh, bigger budget 
movies later. And I, and so some of this stuff I see, you know, was starting to bubble up and become get and and be present in those other movies. But Hollywood was still kind of ha- having a, had a split personality still in 1968 because there was uh, like you also had things big hits with things like Funny Girl and Oliver and uh, the, the Odd Couple, Bug, the Odd Couple. Uh, you could argue the odd couple's got a little bit of darkness to it because it's about a couple of guys in a you know that are going through divorce and that's a painful thing and you know true but uh, but but and, you know, and it, it, it is a positive story by the end of it and I think it's kind of it's kind of a it's a film about rebirth in a lot of ways yeah and you know there's the graduate and uh, the lion and winter and guess who's coming to dinner I mean so, I mean but. But, but my point is that it's like a lot of the big budget Hollywood product that was coming out was still kind of more wasn't really that reflective of the thing you're talking about. But but there was certainly more of that seeping into the the product than uh, was available previously. Yeah. And then and then a lot of the things that were that were coming out, uh, uh, you know, from uh, overseas were definitely were were, were 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 and had been for a while a darker and edgier. Well, the uh, you know we we mentioned earlier targets coming out in 1968 and being um, besides of course being the perfect movie for Karloff to have ended his career on, and that was sadly not to be. But it is also, as you said, um, not just a perfect film for its time, but one that sadly has turned out to be rather timeless and timeless because of its incredibly dark story and themes. Which are the you know the, the disassociation of of uh, a young man from his is not just his family but himself uh, the committing of violence overseas turning him into someone who can casually think that this is just I'll, I'll just do this at home as well I will I will continue taking those skills to a place where I know I you know I know it will end badly for me but that's all I can think of now. That's all. That's the only path I can choose. It is that that cynicism, that nihilism, that that absolute fear of what a human being can become. That has always been a part of a certain subset of, especially horror movies, but also, you know, hell, the Frankenstein story for that for that for that matter. So, I've always thought it was very relevant, and I'm sure I'm not the first one to point this out. That you have the man who most famously played the Frankenstein monster on screen in '31. Being this person who confronts a rather modern monster in targets and faces it down, but the fact that that is happening in that movie, of course, does point out that these two these two things are the same. They're creatures created by something else, and that type of uh, that theme, that idea, kind of courses through a number of movies from from '68. This. This outside influence, this cre- this thing creating a, a monster. Uh, I mean, even something is, you know, as as by 1968, slowly going a little out of date. As Hammer's Dracula's Risen from the Tomb is this, you know, creature who should, by all all accounts, not be still roaming around and doing what it's doing. You know, of course, it's the formula by that time. Hammer's going to find a way to put Christopher Lee back, Christopher Lee back in his fangs, and 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 get him out there and and uh, uh, a cape and 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 do those nasty things. But by that by that time in the series, 
I think anybody watching that movie would have the same feeling of this inevitability, this monster constantly returning and being unstoppable, even if you can halt it, even if you can knock the gun out of its hand with your cane, so to speak, the horror is not over. The it's, it's still there because it's just built into the society. And, uh, it's kind of weird to watch the, uh, I mean that, for instance, the ending of night of the living dead. Right. That's always going to be a gut punch. No matter how many times you see that movie, it is, it's like a physical blow. I remember the first time I ever saw the movie on a, on a VHS tape, I don't know how old I was, probably too young. And that ending, you know, you 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 it's, are led to feel that you're going to be able to watch this man survive, and that's not what happens. Yeah, it's crushing. Yeah, it it's just a gut drop. I don't I don't know if it's the first film I ever saw that had that kind of ending, uh, but it certainly is so affecting because of that ending and. The, you know, like I say, we just mentioned the ending of Planet of the Apes. Right. Where, you know, one of the most iconic things in, in the history of cinema. And I think the same is true with Night of the Living Dead. But they're so, so dark. And well, I can, the, 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 the movies that we mentioned at the top, or I mentioned at the top, the sort of the five uh, that I rattled off, all have pretty memorable... Uh, powerful endings, Night of the Living Dead, Planet of the Apes, Rosemary's Baby, Witchfinder General, which is brutal. And, yeah. and the only and then and then two thousand and one. Now two thousand and one does not have a, a bleak ending. It has more of a hopeful uh, and you know obtuse maybe ending. But only because only because Kubrick didn't end it the way he originally envisioned it. Yeah. But 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 yeah but four out of the five definitely have a, a real uh, gun gut punch of an ending yeah yeah there are we, we've mentioned you know th- there are now still filmmakers who get a film all the way through the filmmaking process and have an ending of that type uh you know their effectiveness is you know of greater or lesser effect depending on circumstance viewer experience whatever you want to call it but those films do still get made well, let but me just jump. If you don't mind me jumping in here, Rodney, what I was yeah, going to sure. say was on the subject of those kind of endings. I, I think it's important to note too that ni- 1968, those kind of endings were still still had a lot of power, and um, they were commercial still. Yeah, but well, but but they they were also still fresh. What happens is then you get into this spell once you get into the 70s, where it was like horror films weren't allowed to have happy endings anymore yeah you all there are almost no horror films that i can think of off the top of my head from the early 70s even into the mid 70s a bit where there's a kind of comforting sort of ending you know there's always it's either a downright bleak everybody dies or we're all doomed kind of ending or there's this note at the end of well this may have worked out but the shoes, there's another shoe that could drop at any minute, kind of thing, and yeah, like the, uh, uh, the 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 ending of the original Halloween. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, so I think that nowadays you, those, I, I don't think the the downbeat ending has as much power today as it did then, and I and I think it quickly kind of it became almost as much of a a cliche in the early '70s to have that kind of an ending as it did in the in the, in the '30s or '40s where. Every horror film had to somehow have a happy end. Yeah, 
That's that's the the, the pendulum swings widely, does it not? <laughs> <laughs> I, I did before we before we come back to the discussion of films from 1968. I would like to say that. I mentioned my contrariness uh, as soon as you put this theory forward. Yep. And uh, one of the reasons for that is I'd not really, you know, consciously sat down and thought about 1968 as a coherent year for cinema. And, uh, wow, well, ever. And, and, and I don't know that 68 was a really tremendous year for cinema generally, but it was for horror and science fiction films specifically. And there are other great years, too. Like I said, uh, 57, 72, a very good year. Well, uh, I would I would like to make the argument that the the year that has always stood out to me, and it's probably because uh, it was the year in which I turned fourteen, was nineteen eighty two. Oh, eighty two is another very good year, absolutely. I mean, any mo- any year in which Carpenter's The Thing, Blade Runner, Poltergeist, E. T., The Wrath of Khan, Dark Crystal, Tron, although I consider those a little further down the pike. Uh, Conan the Barbarian, The Secret of Nim, which I do think is an amazing film. Uh, Creep Show, The World According to Garp, if you want to put that into that category. Some people do, some people don't. Uh, the remake of Cat People, which I know is problematic for a lot of people. Beastmaster, uh, same thing there. <laughs> uh, uh, Wes Craven's Swamp Thing, another problematic film. That's a, It's it's an impressive year. I, I would even tack on uh, The Last Unicorn for animation fans. So. Yeah, I mean, there there certainly were um, a lot of a lot of good movies that year. I, I personally, for me, that's not as uh, I, I th- that year doesn't move me quite as much because some of the some of the ones like that you listed there at the top, I don't particularly like. I've never been a fan of E.T. Uh, understandable, the, understandable. You know, some of the you know, now now I love uh, Wrath of Khan. Yeah, um, and there's and and several several of the other films that you mentioned I do like a lot. Some of them I don't like as much. Uh, so it, it, I think some of that is just and, and I actually do really like the the Cat People remake. I'm a fan um, of it as well. I, I, I the it, it, the original and the remake are very different films, but I have a lot of respect for what Schrader did. Yeah, and then you know the Dark Crystal doesn't do anything for me. Me either. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but there's 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 um. There's a lot of good stuff that year. Uh, it just it, it, to me, it's just not. Um, you know, there aren't as many movies that year in terms of horror science fiction films that are quite as iconic as you know and and sort of pivotal in the in the genre as you get in '68. Although it's certainly a, a really good year. And if you, like I said, '72 was also a good year. Well, the thing uh, about I got to tell you though, the thing about uh, being 14 in 1982 was uh, you have things like. Conan the Barbarian suddenly bringing back uh, an R-rated version of the Peplum film, uh, along with, you know, The Sword and the Sorcerer to a a lesser degree. And you have, uh, like I say, Wrath of Khan was a seismic shift in science fiction filmmaking, not to mention Blade Runner, obviously. Uh, But I would point out that by 1982, neither Blade Runner nor my other favorite film from 1982... I mean, Poltergeist was a huge hit, but it had a right. happy it had a happy ending. But my favorite films that we just named off from 1982 were not hits in that year, and both of them have downer endings. That would be Carpenter's The Thing and Blade Runner. It's as if the public wasn't willing to turn those into giant hits like they were in '68. Right. It was a different 
era. Well, it was, it was the Reagan era. It was different. It was the, not at all what was happening in terms of the pop. You know, those films are a little left of the popular consciousness, I think, at that time. Yeah. Although they obviously held up better than a lot of the things that were big hits. Oh, you and you 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 mentioned you you, you omitted one of my uh, another one of my personal favorites, which is uh, the Halloween Three. Is also from '82. <laughs> the Halloween Three. <laughs> Is that the is that the marsupials? I can't remember. No, Halloween Halloween three is. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said the Howling three. Oh, no, no, no. No, Halloween. no. Halloween three is absolutely one of my favorite films, but another dark ending and another abject yeah. failure. Yes, that's and that's exactly what I was going to say. But it fits in the same category of nobody liked it at the time, and I guess some people don't like it now. But true. But I like it. So. I I absolutely love it. It's my second favorite Halloween film. <laughs> Probably mine too, actually. But once I start looking at, you know, like like I said, I, I came loaded for bear thinking that I would argue with you that eighty two was a better year. But honestly, I can't I can't make that claim without uh, without lying quite a bit because as much excellent as much excellence I should say that there is in nineteen eighty two, uh, I think sixty eight's kind of got it in a lot of ways, and not just because I think that the even the non genre films from sixty eight hold up better than the genre films of 82. I mean, like I say, I mean, 68, I I mentioned, you know, Once Upon a Time in the West, but the the bleakest of all bleak spaghetti westerns, The Great Silence, came out that same year. And, uh, you know, if you want to, a a good case for for mass suicide, show a large crowd The Great Silence. Uh, what a great movie, though. It's it's a phenomenal film. It's it's great. It's a great film on every level. But you know, it, it's a, it's got a similar gut punch to the end of Planet of the Apes, the the end of Night of the Living Dead. You're going to feel down when that film stops. Okay, one film that we haven't mentioned from 1968, and I kind of want to get your thoughts on it because you want you want you want to talk about about a movie that splits people. And I'm really not even sure where I fall. Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, that's that's another one I had on the list I didn't really bring up. It's uh, not a favorite of mine. It's not unappealing. It's just not really my speed. Uh, I don't know how to put it. It seems like it's sort of a, I don't know. It always, An hour over long? Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> uh, it, it, it just kind of strikes me as like a kind of wannabe Mary Poppins or something. To a large degree, yeah, 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 and and uh, you know, much as I like uh, most other movies based on the work of Ian Fleming, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> this particular <laughs> film seems to. Here's yeah, the thing. Here's the thing. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Some people love it. Some people are charmed by it. You know, yeah. and I, you know, um, I, uh, I'm not particularly so. Well, here, uh, here's here's my feeling about it as an adult. I've always felt. As an adult, as a kid, it just seemed like a movie that went on forever, but that I was fascinated by. But as an adult, I look at the movie and I go, this one got away from everybody. Yeah. This one well, was too big and no one knew when to reel it in. Yeah, well, I, I basically, how do you want to put this? I think the idea, I mean, number one, it's it's difficult to make a, a children's movie that's so long that children kind of lose interest in it. Yeah, but I also think it's it's difficult to um, I, I just I think the idea of the epic comedy is not something I can sign up for. You, I just can't laugh for 
two hours or more. You know, it's like I've never been able to uh, hang with it's a mad, 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 mad world or. Yeah, I understand. And I was going to point out that movie as a reason why a Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was probably allowed to be as long as it was. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Or um, The Great Race is another one I just I just find kind of tedious. It's Those films aren't really my, you know, I, my comedy taste tends to run a little bit more either dry or just, you know, I don't know what, whatever you call Monty Python, but like, you know, just drier or, or more, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. My, my sense of humor tends to fall somewhere between Monty Python, SCTV and, uh, uh, the Coen brothers. (laughs) Right. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good approximation. Although I like I like a lot of classic comedy stuff, like you know Chaplin and Keaton and oh, bringing a baby, and, Hardy and the Stooges and that kind of stuff. So. Howard Howard Hawks is uh, bringing a baby is my favorite comedy of all time. Right, but yeah, but 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 in general, in terms of uh, and I like you know, like you know the Pink Panther movies, the early ones of those are those are really good and yeah. So I, you know, but I can go with Goofy as to a certain extent, but then I just can't take you know two plus hours of Goofy. But my point in bringing up Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is that that is a movie with some real darkness in it as well, which is one of the things that as a child fascinated me when it would be on in, you know, on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. That child catcher character, the child catcher character is horrifying. Yeah, well, there used to be more of a tolerance for that sort of thing in children's movies than there seems to be today. I mean, a lot of the classic Disney movies are pretty dark. I mean, you yeah. can go all the way back to like, you know, Pinocchio. There's some nasty stuff going on in Pinocchio. Oh, most assuredly. Not well. Also, I mean, yeah, you're right. The 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 early Disney films kind of hewed a little bit closer to the darkness within the Grimm's fairy tales, and right. uh, you know, more and more they got away from that. Of course, uh, although there, I, I will say that there's a, a great joy in my heart for the for the dark animated films that that uh, Disney created in the '80s when they were floundering around trying to figure out what they were going to do because. The, the darkness of the black cauldron is something that I clutch to my chest and chest and just absolute joy because <laughs> I really I really like that film a lot and man that's, that's there's some real darkness in that movie baby yeah now I haven't seen the black cauldron since it came out I, I it's one I'd like to revisit I, I wonder if it's on Disney plus it probably is it may well be yeah yeah so I'll maybe I'll do that because uh, I, I remember of course I remember seeing it but I don't remember I didn't. It didn't knock me out at the time, and I don't remember much about it. I, I think I was. I was also probably. What year was that? Um, Black Cauldron, eighty-four or five, I think. Yeah, so I would have been like really kind of the wrong. I mean, that's like my freshman year of college, so it's probably not the ideal time to have seen that movie. Yeah, eighty-five, nineteen eighty-five. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean it. It did not do well, which is why I'm still desperately waiting for Disney to put it out on Blu-ray. So, right. But these these darker elements, your choice of '68 is impressive because I, I won't call it Ground Zero because it's certainly not that, as we talked about earlier on. The right. you know you have to have dark things happening in the real world, and you have to have that build up over time for it to kind of come to a head, like it does to a degree. In I would argue. 67 68 and 69 well yeah and just and on on that point you know i mean i 68 i did compile a little list just to, just to some highlights of stuff that happened in 68 you know you've got 
in in January you've got uh, the 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 Prague Spring and Czechoslovakia where oh, yeah. there was a regime regime change and there was uh, actually a less a lightening of uh, the uh, and some more creative freedom there for artists there and filmmakers there for a brief period of time where uh, with a new government there but it created all kinds of tension in the Eastern Bloc uh, you had and and then later that month the uh, uh, North Korea captured a, a American surveillance uh, ship. The Tet Offensive I mentioned was in, in you know right right around New Year's. Uh, the Miele massacre happened in March, although we didn't know about that for a year or two after that. Uh. LBJ withdrew from the election, uh, the campaign to for president, and in, in March, yeah. Of course, Martin Luther King was assassinated in April. Uh, April and May, there were student protests all over the world. There was Bloody Monday in France, where, oh, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, the, and then the, and then in and in June, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. By August, Russian troops rolled into Czechoslovakia to to crush the Prague Spring, um, and then later in August, you had the DNC, uh, Democratic National Convention in Chicago, and the riots and everything around that. Yeah. You had uh, hundreds were killed in Mexico, in Mexico City, uh, in, in the Tetaloco or whatever it is, square, and building up to the Olympic Games. And you had the, you know, the, there were protests at the games. Uh, and, you know, and the year ends with Nixon winning the presidency. So I'll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, lots and lots of, uh, you know, it was just a year that was full of, of uh, bad, bad news. I mean,. Well, I've, I, and that's the thing is, I've there, there was a sense in America anyway, here in the states, that by the time RFK was assassinated, they'd there were there had already been the, the Martin Luther King assassination, and there was just this sense in amongst people, you know. And remember, it was only five years before that JFK had been assassinated in Texas, and so there's just this overwhelming sense that. The world can fly apart at any moment. Uh, a bullet, a single bullet, can just upend whole movements of people attempting to better themselves. Whole movements of people attempting to make a certain choice politically. In the in the case of choosing, you know, Robert Kennedy for a presidential uh, run, it becomes this horrible, horrible thing where it's no longer unthinkable to realize that chaos can reign. Uh, chaos can end things that will turn the world, if not, not not just the country, but possibly the entire world, down a dark path. And uh, that's the kind of art that is starting to be made by 1968. All of these things build over time. Uh, you know, you're, you're naming off events that take place within 1968, but you could back up and talk about you know similar events besides the assassination in 63 and it just becomes a a never-ending story of bad news put in front of the public on uh, an almost daily basis that makes it harder and harder for the people creating fiction to ignore it starts to seep into the consciousness into everyone's way of looking at the world and it's no shock that it starts to come out in the entertainment itself yeah, you know, I was only two in 1968, but I mean, I have family and friends that were older, and and they all kind of, 
I mean, many of them anyway, uh, recall just feeling like that our country was just kind of coming apart. Yeah. And, and really being worried about what was going to happen because they were just, you know, in addition to the, that stuff, you, know, you have just the broader things of the, you know, the anti-war movement and then and the, and the uh, black power movement and, you know, women's liberation. And there were just all these things going on that were that were, you know, not necessarily. I mean, they were, you know, you can see them as positive things, but they were very upsetting to lar- large segments of the population and, and putting people at odds, putting, you know, fathers against sons and yeah. And you very, know, very much a generational neighbors. fight, yeah. Yeah, and it was uh, it was just a, a really you know a really difficult period. Well, one of the things we, we went earlier when we mentioned uh, Rosemary's Baby, it's it's got such a dark ending, uh, but it's an ending that plays it plays as if you're supposed to read it as positive as uh, a, a, a good ending, a, a somewhat happy ending with the mother embracing her child. But it is such a dark story. And of course, I mean, the, you know, the secret of Rosemary's Baby is it plays perfectly on the, the plot line of Gaslight for such a long period of time. Uh, it, it, it is this thing where the, the mother who's being taken advantage of, this mother is being lied to by everyone around her for months and months, uh, for over a year, <laughs> to put her in the position to create this child. And the darkest aspects of the Gaslight story are turned to horrible, horrible supernatural ends. And it's as if that the darkness of the, the underlying idea of the Gaslight, you know, the Gaslight story itself, which is you know the idea of someone working their hardest to convince you that something that you know to be true is not true is kind of twisted and even made made even darker it's almost as if if you extracted the supernatural aspect of it and it all turned out to be something that was just in her head it would be an even darker film paramount pictures presents mia farrow in a william castle production rosemary's baby Co-starring John Cassavetes, Ruth Gordon, Sidney Blackmer, Morris Evans, and Ralph Bellamy. Written for the screen and directed by Roman Polanski. From the best-selling novel by Ira Levin. Suggested for mature audiences. You know, the I've never quite read it that way, um, but... I tell you my take on that on that on that movie and on that story. Okay. Because because I don't know if you've read the novel, but but Polanski is incredibly faithful to Ira Levin's novel, and the only changes he makes to the story are ones that improve it. Like he never shows the child, uh, right. whereas Levin actually describes the baby as one of the least you know. Um, it just it's one of the weaker parts of the of the book but to me the the genius of what of what Levin does and and the Polanski does is um and again you know now I'm a I'm a I have two kids you know and a wife and all this stuff and I've been through pregnancy a couple of times as a as a guy you know with a wife <laughs> and um um but I think what what the the brilliant thing that Levin does is he kind of um 
uh, tunes in on and amplifies these natural anxieties that all women have when they are pregnant. He, yes. And like the the idea that oh my you know my husband's going to lose interest in me or he's uh, or uh, uh, whatever or, or you know something's going to go wrong uh, you know with the well, so the baby may not be healthy I may be you know I may get sick uh, my life may be in danger. Uh, mostly concerns for the child, though, while you're while you're carrying it, and just that you know, what if this you know you have there's this bond between mother and child that you know, those of us with outdoor plumbing are never really going to understand, but is a special good, thing. Good way, to, good way to put it, by the way. <laughs> uh, that you know, what if there's something you know corrupts that you know, uh, and it's just all these things that are kind of I don't know that women sit around and wring their hands over this overtly but there's sort of these things that i think many women uh who go through pregnancy it's 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 there somehow in the back of their minds and he just brings it out and makes them all the absolute worst case scenario so it's all very true to the experience of a woman enduring you know carrying a child you know giving birth all these things uh all in this natural process and the great thing about the ending is that it's also entirely true to the nature of that, which is that, you know, with unless there's a sociopathic or something, the the, the woman or is has postpartum issues or other things, right? You know, the woman is going to be deeply bonded to that child, and is is she is ultimately going to take the child because it's her child, and she's gonna there's going to be a connection there that's not like any other connection, and. She, it's the only ending that movie could have. The only ending that story could have is that she accepts the child and she's going to be a mother to the child because it's her child. And that's I mean, that, it, that's one of the scariest things in that movie is that absolutely. you can, well, it, well, it's that you can watch the amazing Ruth Gordon in that movie, who's you know she's she's such a a, 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 a vivacious and outspoken character, uh, much like I assume she was in real life in the mm-hmm. film. And there's this. You can, if you watch her eyes, she's just she's gauging how close to acceptance she is the entire time in that last segment of the movie. Just watching Ruth Gordon's eyes is—it's honestly one of the most horrifying things in that film. It's, it's not yeah, she just kind of she's just sort of waiting her out. She knows yeah. she's going to break down and accept the child, and yeah. do, and, and but it's, she's just she's just waiting. She's patient. She knows it's going to happen. That little that little little bitty smile at the edges of her mouth it's 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 an exceptional performance of course it's it's ruth gordon i expect that but the uh you know it there's so many little touches like that throughout it that uh that dance across cassavetes in the film is he's the the movie jerks you back and forth about how you think you should feel about him and that's that the 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 darkness within what that character agrees to do is so horrible. It's 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 um it's almost unbelievable. But he makes it believable. The structure of the but, story makes it believable. But you know what? But but again, it's just what he what what the the nature of that character in that story. The, the characters in that story are all just. I mean, they're amazingly well-written characters and yeah. well-motivated characters. And here's a guy who, he may love his wife, but he's an actor. You know, he's probably, 
like many actors, has quite an ego, is very vain, is very concerned about his own career, and ultimately prioritizes that over everything else. But you can see him to, making that. You can see him making a uh, a decision within his head that honestly, doing this is actually the best thing for his wife because then he can take care of her. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Or or he can rationalize his own choice. Right. To literally make a deal with the devil to advance his career because it will also benefit her, he can tell himself. Uh-huh. You know, there are these little ways that that we we have of uh, uh, of of excusing our own behavior and and the own you know every and no there are nobody in the world thinks of them no matter how big a villain they may be thinks that any every villain in every story thinks he's the hero. Of course. Yeah. So that's just the way it works. And and. It's yeah. You know, it's one of the brilliant things about that that story, that that movie, and really the thing that drives that movie is are the, the fact that the characters are so well drawn. I mean, and that's a movie that clocks in what two hours or a little over two hours, and to me has never felt long. Has never felt like because there's just always something gripping is going on in that movie the entire time. It's fascinating, and a lot of it is in yes, it's exceptionally well written. It's very well directed, but also. The cast. The cast is great. They well, Mia Farrow is yeah. amazing in that film. I mean, how she didn't get, you know, uh, an Oscar nomination at least. She oh, she did not? I don't. I didn't think so. Wow, she, she, you may, you're probably right. That's, that's distressing to think about if she did. I mean, yeah, yeah. I would like to say something now about a movie from 1968 that, although very famous... Um, I have never warmed to in my life. Uh, I've tried uh, multiple occasions. Uh, I do this with a lot of different films where uh, there's a there's a large groundswell of attention paid to it. There's a, a cult fan base or maybe even a very popular fan base for a film that just does not click with me. And that's true of anybody with different movies. But I have never been able to feel love for Barbarella. Uh, well let me rephrase that (laughs) i can definitely fall in love with jane fonda as barbarella that's let's be clear i want to make sure that we we get that out in the open uh if i were john philip law in that film or literally any other co-star uh falling in love would be very easy but the film itself is it's just it's just off in so many ways that i've never been able to warm to it at all I, I like it. Um, I think it's it's um, very much uh, it's cut from the same cloth as something like uh, Diabolic. I mean, it's got that whole kind of campy, cartoony uh, kind of vibe to it. It's very over the top, very silly. Um, yeah, but I never. It's never fun. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I find it. I find it enjoyable. Now, the fact that there's a lot of naked Jane Fonda helps, but uh, those uh, are good things. I like the yeah. set design. I like yeah. the uh, I like uh, the look of almost everything in it. It just seems. Let's just say that it was one of the first movies that I ever, in the middle of rewatching, realized that the wrong person was behind the camera. Whoa! Oh yeah. Well, I'm not a big fan of Roger Vadim generally, actually. Yeah. And I think that it would have been better. Of course, it probably never probably would have been made by anybody else, but but it, it might have been better with somebody else making it, as most Vadim movies probably would be. I mean, there, <laughs> there are two or three. I mean, I like uh, his. I like uh, 
dangerous li- liaisons. I like in God Created Woman. I like Blood. Um, I like Blood Roses. I'm not real. I'm not really crazy about that one either. Uh, it's okay. It's not great, but I like it. I don't think Barbarella is great either. I mean, I just think no. it's it's a, it's a notable film from that year, and I do enjoy it on a certain level. But it's it it wouldn't crack. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff that came out that year. It wouldn't crack my top twenty <laughs> for the year. Wouldn't top my, cra- my wouldn't crack my top twenty five to be honest. Yeah. So it. Uh, but you know. But it's it's. It's. I find it fun if you you know approach it in the right frame of mind. I've never. I, that's the one thing is I've I've almost never found it fun. I every time I've I've sat through it, uh, it's been a chore to a degree because it, it feel for, well. First of all, it is very it, it is very episodic, which is yep. just just how the the script is structured, and I don't fault a film for being episodic, but I do fault it for making me dread the next episode, <laughs> which. Barbarella kind of does for me. It just it it does not have it does not pop. There's nothing about it that seems to uh, have life. It's almost as if we're watching a very slow moving diorama or painting uh, being constructed in front of us. And uh, sometimes that can be very interesting, but most of the time, it it puts me in mind of of paint drying. It's pretty. It's colorful. But you know what? Can you tell me when you're done so that I can get an idea of how this is going to turn out? And how do you then, feel about how do you feel about Flesh Gordon? Flesh Gordon? Yeah, I will admit I've never seen Flesh Gordon. Oh, okay. Because to me, it's it's kind of it, you know that's a much more overt, overtly you know it's I mean it's a porn movie you know basically, but it uh, but it's. Um, uh, funny and it, it's kind of does the same. You may not like it because to me it's like a more. If you take Barbarella and and go and push it more, right? You get something like Flesh Gordon. It's it, it, the the other thing that's that's a problem with Barbarella is it is that on the one level it's sort of betwixt in between. You know what I mean? I, I mean it it doesn't yeah. it, it, it's saucy but it's not really. Dirty. <laughs> it's 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 winking at you without ever going over a specific line. Right, right, and and so it, it kind of wants to have it both ways. Yeah. Um. And and that's that's a little frustrating sometimes. I mean, uh, but but I it just know. does. It like, doesn't have enough energy. It's so static. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't. That's not my experience of it. But I I can see where. You're, and I mean, there are plenty of people that. That uh, talk about a divisive movie. I mean, there are people that yeah, I know that find it to be a, a real you know romp that enjoy it more than I do, and there are people that just absolutely hate it. And I, I don't, I don't, ha- I don't hate it. I should stress that I don't hate the movie. It's just that I, I can watch it, and I, I know I'm not enjoying it as much as the filmmakers want me to. But I'm not, I'm not hating it at any point. I'm just wishing that it was better the entire time. Yeah, well, that's a, and that's. I think that's going back to what you had said before. I mean, I think that's on Vadim. I mean, I think that's that's often my experience of his films is that, and that's my experience of Blood and Roses is, boy, this could have been really good, and it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I think I kind of get more joy out of Blood and Roses uh, because I've always seen it. I've always seen it as an art film, whereas Barbarella is supposed to be a comic book, and. Um, I, I expect a certain amount of stasis in the storytelling, a certain measured pace or tone, 
uh, within something that is very clearly telling me from you know from everything on screen that this is this is a, uh, an attempt to come at this not from an exploitation stance but from uh, an artistic stance and I'm good with that uh, I'll get I'll get you know I'll give you all the rope you want as long as you're not trying to as, as long as you you know form is following function I'm fine but uh, Barbarella the the it, the form is not following function and I feel I feel it's I feel it pushing against what it should be doing almost all the time well I understand your perspective I don't necessarily have that experience with it myself but I understand I understand on the subject of the Japanese films that came out that year uh, we mentioned earlier genocide and I'm I made mention of its incredibly dark ending Um I only recently caught up with that. Uh, of course, that's that was put out on uh, DVD and part of a set from Criterion a few years ago, uh, along with uh, Goke the Goke the Body Snatcher from Hell and uh, the Living Skeleton and I and, right. um, one other film X, X, the, X the Unknown right or not X the Unknown uh, um, X the Terror from Space yeah something like that yeah. right and I gotta say if you want to look for a dark film from 1968. Genocide is now in the pole position, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, my God, what a dark movie! Um, the first of all, it's very well done. The uh, it's it's a it's a it's well scripted. It's well acted. The uh, the uh, shadings of the characters is very interesting. Uh, I was actually caught up in the drama uh, of the story being told. And then, holy crap, a moly! Uh, it follows through. Um, talk about. I mean, I don't. I don't see a darker movie on this list. Let's put it that way. Um, maybe, maybe the Planet of the Apes sequel is darker, but <laughs> not to give too much away. But the uh, but genocide is. I think it's not surprising that it was made by the Japanese. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's the kind of movie that, or, and, and Gok is the same way. Yeah, it's the, it's the kind of movie that only comes from people that have lived through things that culturally we can't even imagine yeah. having dealt with. Um, it's super dark. It's got the, all that weird stuff with the bugs in it. And it's, it's, there's, there's just, um, and it's, it's a very, it's, it, the tone of it is very unusual. You know, it doesn't feel. It doesn't. Definitely not a kaiju romp kind of vibe. No. It's also not, uh, you know, a Japanese ghost story. More, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, Kuriniko, which was also out that year, that has more of a kind of a statelier, creepier kind of gothic vibe. Not that either. It definitely. It just has its own um, personality, and it's and it's kind of just. It just takes no prisoners. No, it does not. Um, there were a bunch of good Japanese. The genocide is, is excellent. We mentioned Go. We mentioned earlier. We mentioned the Living Skeleton. I mentioned Kuraniko. I mean, there was a. It was. There were other things. There's a movie called The Joys of Torture that's also very dark, as you might imagine. Oh the man! Like oh, okay. There's a, there was a Gamma movie. Uh, well, Destroy All Planets or Gamma versus Space Monster Virus. Um, there's something called the bride from hell came out that year. And of course the green slime. Uh, so there, are, there was, are we going, are we going to dance right past the classic, the blood beast terror? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. And then there's that. Absolutely. So, so it's not a good film people. If you were, if you were unaware. Yeah. 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 Not, not, uh, 
yeah, not not uh, on the top line is that, one. but no. but it, but there were a lo- there were a lot of uh, it, J- Japan and Mexico cranked out several films that year, several horror horror science fiction type films that year. Uh, uh, I have to say, Japan did had a better year than Mexico did, but there were some interesting Mexican things as well. But that was you know one of the things I think that's remarkable remarkable about '68 is these movies were uh, coming in all over the place. You know, we've talked about movies from, uh, of course, the United States and Great Britain, but also the Philippines and Japan and Italy and Sweden and Mexico. Uh, there are a couple of Brazilian uh, science fiction and horror movies that year. There's one called uh, Trilogy of Terror that was uh, pretty interesting. It's a Jose Mar- Jose uh, Marin's film, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's uh, a movie from Czechoslovakia called Knights of Prague that had a it's like a like a anthology movie that had a, uh, a retelling of the Golem in it. Um, wow, I don't know that one. That'd be cool to see. Yeah, I, I have a particular interest in Czech film actually. So. And, and then there's a couple I haven't actually seen, but I've read, like, Mission Stardust is a science fiction movie from West Germany. There's uh, something called, um, it's from Hong Kong, and I've lost it on the list here. Oh. But, uh, it, it, but you know, but there was stuff from, uh, there's just stuff from all over the place. It was, there was just something in the air. Oh, it's called The Leech Girl, which I haven't seen that one either, but would like to. It's a Hong Kong horror film. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that one at all. Huh. Yeah. So, I, and I, I particularly like the, the, the other thing we didn't really talk about earlier is the fact that all these things came out in '68, and there are a bunch of these things that are really interesting. And and you mentioned you know, you did talk about the fact that many of them had these dark endings, yeah, or and that sort of thing. But aside from that, look at the array of different kinds of movies we're talking about. I mean, 2001, where we started, Night of the Living Dead, Planet of the Apes, Rosemary's Baby, Witchfinder General, all kind of have a distinct kind of personality. You're not going to confuse them with each other. No. And then you know, Barbarella is very, you know, as we talked about, is very cartoony. Charlie is this sort of very downbeat, heartbreaking uh, drama type thing. Diabolic is another cartoony thing. The, but the very, very, but very much an action film, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then the, the Hammer movies are gothics. The Japanese things are kind of all over the place, but definitely, uh, you know, uh, not gothic uh, necessarily, except maybe for Kuro Nico. The Devil Rides uh, Out is a, is a unique little hammer piece there that, uh, yeah. yeah. Mark of the Werewolf, you know, again, gothic, but it definitely has its own uh, swerve to it. Uh, Na- you know, because Nashi had a different take on this than anybody else. And then uh, things like, you know, like like we mentioned, Thunderbird 6 or Yellow Submarine. I mean, it's it's a it's a really a Colors of the Rainbow sort of uh you know, spectrum of very much so, yeah, of tones and things, and and yet a lot of remarkable movies, either really good or at least interesting films, all all concentrated in this one kind of amazing to me year. We didn't even mention uh, the genre land film uh, that came out that year, Queen of the Vampires. Oh yeah, which, I forgot about that one. Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about I'm a I'm a Roland fan and. Uh, yeah, I mean, you talk about sur- you know sur- surrealism and vampires, and there there you have a, a totally different flavor being tossed onto this very overfull plate already. Yep, it really is. Um, you know, and this is why, as I mentioned, I had thought about doing a 
doing another book, and eventually I decided that, that I didn't really want to take out another book about the you know, having already done the '60s book about on this topic. But if somebody else wants to do this, now you can you feel free to you know <laughs> use this uh, podcast as uh, in, in your bibliography and 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 write because I would love to read this book, but I just decided I didn't really want to write it. Just make sure to spell both of our names correctly. <laughs> That's right. And send royalty checks in the form of hand sanitizer and toilet paper. <laughs> yes, please, especially if we're still under lockdown when you finish this book. Uh, we may all be dead by then. I will definitely be picking out the least favorite comic books in the collection to, to use. Uh, Mark, you made your case, and I have to say, I can't find a good argument against it. 1968 is a pretty incredible year. I don't know if it's necessarily the greatest for these genres, but it's pretty damn topped pretty damn near the top well you know what in in if if people hear this uh, and want to offer an alternative year for discussion and argument that would be great mention it in the comments and then maybe you could you maybe we could do this again or you could have somebody else on to talk about another year but it would it would be cool to talk about what some of the other best years were for horror sci-fi fantasy movies well yeah and like I say, 1968, even just not the genre stuff, but any any year that had Hell in the Pacific, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, The Great Silence, it's 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 kind of astonishing, the wide variety. I mean, even things like Ice Station Zebra or If. but uh, And Bullet, Bullet, you mentioned earlier. Bullet, uh, I would even say The Love Bug, for God's sake. <laughs> I love The Love Bug. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, a true great film like The Lion in Winter, I mean, what what an astonishing film that is. And it's an incredible year. And even if you're just shaving it down to the genre stuff, the horror, science fiction, and fantasy stuff, you know, it's it's pretty easy to make that case. You don't have to you don't have to stretch too far. Dark of the Sun. I'm looking at now looking at other 68 movies. Dark, well, I, I, I kind of wanted to bring up when we were talking about the horror movies from the year, I kind of wanted to bring up Pretty Poison with uh, Tuesday Weld and uh, Anthony Perkins. To my way of looking at it, that's a horror movie. A lot of people refer to it as a drama, but I think Pretty Poison is pretty close to being a horror film. Yeah, well, it's, it goes into that category, like I mentioned earlier, things like Boston Strangler or The Bride Wore Black. Or think, like, there are a lot of movies that aren't really horror movies, but like if you like the movies we're talking about, you'll probably like some of these other movies too. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, Mark, you made your case, and I have to say, uh, I can't find a good way to rebut you. You've won me over. Whoa! It's a first. <laughs> Somebody write this down. Make a note. Alert the media. <laughs> Pretty much. Mark, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Is there anything you want uh, the people out there to know? Uh, I will eventually finish the 40s book, and then you can buy it. <laughs> where else? Where can they if, buy your other books? Why, why don't oh, you yeah, reel off? Why don't you reel off the titles of the other, the other books? Well, yeah. Well, in the meantime, uh, you can read. You can buy my uh, 60 Shockers, uh, which Brian Sen and I wrote about horror films from the 1960s. It's from McFarland, and you can get it like places that sell books. Great book. And then, and then uh, I've written you know, books on the Star Trek and Star Wars, uh, Star Wars FAQ, Star Trek FAQ. Uh, people want to do that. That's on Amazon or wherever else you like to buy books. And, uh, you know, but we're talking about 60 stuff right now. So let's, let's stick with the 60. <laughs> Mark, thank you once again for coming on the show. Anytime, Rod. Happy All to right. do. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. 
lights go out. Mama looked at me, she goes beaming through the window. When she looked at me, she thought I was a singer. Lights out. When the lights go out Coming on the front porch Hugging on the swing Almost hear them Waiting bells ring Lights out Lights out I'm right now Lights went out Sister knows what's more about well, What you do When the lights go out Yeah Lights go out. Now we're married. By the laws, we're the married little sister, but the lights went out. Lights out. Lights out. I'm right now. Lights went out. Sister, no one's What you do when the lights go out? Get
lights go out. 